Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 154 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am still here at home in Lander, Wyoming. However, I'm getting packed up today and headed to Chattanooga, Tennessee tomorrow, where our very first Empowered Seminar will be starting at the end of the week. Uh, This seminar is for the self-coach climber. We're just helping, hoping to give the tools to coach yourself, to continue your progression. Um, that's the whole goal of this thing. And frankly, it's step one in a much larger plan. My big dream here is to build something that can really give back to the community. And this is step one. I'm not going to give you any details on that right now. I have to keep that a little close to the vest for a while. But you will be hearing about it. It's also going to be the first time that the whole power company team is under one roof, which is really, really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to hanging out with everybody um, not work-related, just hanging out because, and frankly, it's going to be a lot of work-related. That's how I do. But they're all my friends, and it's not going to be nice to see everybody. It is also the end of the year, 2019. We're moving into a new decade, and this has been our biggest year yet for the podcast, so huge thanks to all of you who have been supporting, who've been sharing what we do. I appreciate it massively, and please continue doing it. I'm only going to keep going, so I appreciate that you are too. Before we get today's episode started, I want to mention that we have opened registration for our Red River Pump Prep Program with Drew Mack. Um, This is a training plan that Drew and I built together based on the way that he trains for the Red River Gorge, which has obviously been incredibly effective, and based on my thoughts on training for the Red uh, which is something I've I've done myself a lot, and I've trained hundreds of climbers to perform well in the Red River Gorge. So between Drew and I, I think we have a pretty damn good handle on how to train for Red River climbing. So if you've got a spring Red River trip planned, or to any pumpy area, Maple, um, any Kalimnos, anywhere where you're going to be getting pumped on steep climbing, this plan is going to be a game changer for you. So check it out. You can find it at powercompanyclimbing.com slash pump prep, one word. Or you can check the links right there in your pocket supercomputer in the show notes. It'll take you directly there. The seats are limited, so make sure you get in there and get signed up. Okay, today's guest is Dr. Favia Dubik. And Favia is a climber, as well as a cancer survivor turned pathologist. I don't like the word 
cancer survivor here. She is a survivor. However, she's also thriving. I don't know if thriver is a word, but that's how I would describe Favia. And you'll notice that very, very quick into this episode that she's very excited, very happy, living life to its fullest, really. And she she went from cancer survivor to pathologist so that she could give people the information she wanted when she was dealing with her diagnosis. And we'll get into that in the episode. I'm not going to go too far in it. What I will tell you is that her biceps are bigger than yours and her passion for life is contagious. Let's get into it. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this Fun time planned out, study time planned out, practice time planned out. No matter how busy or what exams I had, I had to be at practice. It's not a choice to go to the gym or to train. I don't think you can fake the mean voice. You just have to, there has to be a reason for it. I think so. <laughs> all right. So why don't we start? There's all sorts of directions I want to go with this. So it's really hard for me to be like, let's start here. Because it's not really a linear thing as much. Um, but you started climbing before any of the cancer diagnosis were you already in medical school when you started climbing um technically i was in grad school uh for nutrition for a master's in nutrition and i signed up for columbia's climbing club day one and i paid for the membership i went and i didn't like it and i didn't go all year until the very end to make my money to get my money's worth out of it. And then out of those seven times I went at the end, I just fell in love. Hmm. So technically I kind of started right before med school, but I really, really got into it uh, when I moved to Cleveland. And at the Cleveland Rock Gym is where I really, really delved into the world of climbing. Before that, I didn't even know that there was like outdoor climbing. I right. had heard about people going outside, but I thought it was people who had put plastic holds like on trees and rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't I don't know why you want to do that. I'd just rather do this in here. It seems yeah. way more fun. <laughs> so it was in Cleveland that I discovered there's like rope climbing, <laughs> drag climbing, outdoor climbing on rocks. Um, and that was when I was in med school. That's really funny. What do you think it was that made you fall in love with it that seventh time or so that you went? Um, that's a good question. I think before, I think at that seventh time, I kind of understood what climbing was about, that it wasn't just being powerful or it wasn't just about being as strong as you can be. There was technique and movement. You kind of had to figure out how to move your body to progress on the route. Because when I started, I didn't understand that. I thought it was all like pull-ups and like just pull up here, pull up there. Were you already the most ripped, jacked human on the planet <laughs> at that point? Or does that come later? Well, <laughs> I was actually a little differently proportioned because I ran track 
all through high school and all uh, through college. Gotcha. Yeah. So I actually weighed the same as I do now, but it was all in my legs. Right, right. Um, so then, I mean, I had pretty good upper body strength, but not quite the same. Right. But then I definitely kind of thought climbing was just about, you know, pulling up and grabbing the next hold. But as I started to watch people at the gym, I noticed they were using like, feet and footwork. Yeah. And that that's mm-hmm. when I really was like, oh, this is fun. Oh, cool. Because now I'm pretty sure your biceps are bigger than my quads. So <laughs> I've definitely bulked up a bit over the years. <laughs> Have you lost the the leg weight? Has that atrophied and gone away? Have I lost the weight? Yes, 100%. All gone. <laughs> you don't have track legs anymore? <laughs> I can't wear any of the pants that I used to wear oh, man. back then. Um, yeah, they're all a little baggy. I have moved all that weight. As I said, I weigh the same. I've now yeah, moved all yeah, that yeah. leg weight to my arms and my lats. Yeah. Um, it actually got kind of easy to put on this weight because when you have chemo, you actually lose everything. So I started at like right. 90s or like 95 pounds, 98 pounds. And then when I got back to climbing, I didn't have arm or length strength. So I just mm-hmm. put it all back, like 20 pounds back in wow. my arms. <laughs> wow. Back and arms get 20 my, pounds extra. My legs are still chemo size. <laughs> wow. I don't think I'd recommend that training program for, for most people, but... It's definitely been effective. So so you're in Cleveland. That's Correct. where you went into medical school. Yes. And so you're in your early 20s at that point? Yeah, like 22, 23. 22, 23. And then around 24, is that when you yeah. were diagnosed? Yeah, I think, well, I was diagnosed at 23. Okay. Um, Tell me a little bit about how the diagnosis came about. So I was at the end of my second year of med school, which is around January or so. And uh, I was studying for boards and I thought I was just really stressed. I didn't feel well. I felt tired. Um, but I was like, oh, well, I'm just taking boards. This is what a normal med student feels like. Um, and I take boards and actually I just feel worse. The stress right. isn't, like, the stress is gone, but I still feel sick. And uh, I had just met my current husband. Yeah. Uh, so we had just started dating. So I was super happy. I was like, I'm done with my second year. I'm going on to my third year, which is where you do actual rounds in the hospital. You feel like a doctor and things right, like that. Right. Um, and I was well on my way to becoming a surgeon. I had this great guy, had these cats. Like, What more could I want in life? And then um, things, my health started really going downhill where I couldn't swallow foods anymore, like yeah. liquids or solids. I couldn't put away laundry because when I would lift my arms up, like my chest would just compress and I couldn't, I just, I couldn't really do my like activities of daily living anymore. Hmm. Um, I had to sleep straight up because if I lay down, I would just be gasping for air. So I went to doctors. You're saying this like you went through a lot of things before you went to the doctor. How many, <laughs> what was that timeline like to be able to realize, oh, I can't do laundry. I haven't been able to eat this week. What was that timeline? Oh, well, that's, that's a very good point. So I started feeling sick around January or like late December, but the inability to breathe and swallow, that came around May. 
So it's kind of a slow progression between January and May. And I had been going to the doctors, but they had just kept saying I had allergies. I had asthma. Right. Um, They didn't think I had anything serious. I even mentioned that I thought I had lymphoma because I had just learned about lymphoma in med school. (laughs) And they were like, every kid who thinks, who learns about lymphoma thinks they have lymphoma. You don't have lymphoma. Except for I was the kid who had lymphoma. Right, right. so, and then finally, actually, I started having problems with my vision. Hmm. And that is when the doctors who said I had asthma were like, oh, you might have a brain tumor. So they actually sent me in for like an MRI of my head. Um, and I didn't think that for some reason. So I switched doctors and they ordered a chest X-ray. And then they saw this 13 centimeter mass in my chest. Right. So during the head MRI, they found nothing. Well, I didn't even go to that. You didn't go. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I need a Smart. chest X-ray because I am coughing and I can't breathe. Right. And this is here. It was just, you know, part of the symptoms of the cancer is that it was, I guess, compressing s- some nerve. Hmm. And then, uh. So, yeah, then I went and they said, you have a, this big mass. And they said, there's this nice timeline. And this is how it all works. Like I got, and I think they told me on a Thursday, maybe. And they said, on Monday, you'll go in to get your biopsy at the hospital. A couple of days later, you'll get your diagnosis and you'll start chemo within a week. You'll have six months of chemo and you'll be good as new. <laughs> right, right. They make it sound all <laughs> planned out and easy. That is not what it was like whatsoever. The first biopsy went really, really bad. First, the tissue they got was dead, so they couldn't make a diagnosis. Couldn't tell what it was. But then I had almost every like side effect you could think of. And one of the more serious ones was called SVC syndrome, where you have clots um, everywhere from your chest up. So I looked like a big like marshmallow kind of. I was really, really swollen. Oh, wow. And so um, at this point, I think they had discharged me for a day swollen. And then when I got different, home. Different swole than you are now. Different swole. Yeah, yeah bad, different swole. bad swole. <laughs> and um, I looked in the mirror. I was like, why am I like so huge? I went to the emergency room and they said, oh, you have SVC syndrome. So I Googled it. Went on Wikipedia. I never heard of it. And they said like 95% of people die with it. <laughs> and and the they're doctor- just. They're just throwing it out there. Like. And they left the room. And I'm like, oh. Oh, man. Hope I'm part of that 5%. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, actually, people die from it because they're usually really, really sick. Like, they're older and don't right, have light. Right, right. So, um, it's usually other things that kind of kill them. It becomes a complication. Yeah. yeah. So, I survived. Um, but I had to get two more biopsies after that, which also had really bad side effects where... Uh, fluid went in my lungs and my heart and so I had to have like emergent things like tubes everywhere um, so I, it actually took a whole month for me to get a diagnosis so it wasn't all cut and dry it was not You're gonna that get your day turnover Monday, right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shit so what was the diagnosis exactly uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma it was stage 2b uh, so it's on the advanced side because uh, when your mass is that big, then it's considered a more dangerous uh, Is that cancer. something that grows gradually? Yeah. So over that time when doctors were telling you asthma, allergies, yes. all of that, it could have been a, an easier process had it yes. been caught. I think about that a lot. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then your you get the diagnosis. At that point, with the mass grown to that size, what's the outcome look like? What 
What are doctors saying? What are you finding out? What's supposed to happen? So the outcome is pretty good. Despite it being an advanced disease, we have pretty good treatments for Hodgkin lymphomas. Um, So I actually wasn't concerned about dying at all at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was really, because I still wasn't, I didn't feel all that weak. Um, I was just so hopeful and I just thought like, oh, because the doctors also said like, oh, you just take chemo, you feel tired. So I was not concerned about what the next part of my life was going to be like. I just thought like, oh, I'll just feel a little nauseous. I had like I had kind of dropped out of med school, but I told my research PI that, oh, yeah, I'll still be in school like to come do my research. Right, right. Because <laughs> um, in med school, we kind of learned that Hodgkin's is like a good one. So I actually wasn't as concerned as I should have been. Okay. Why uh, should you have been more concerned? Uh, well, well, I, I should probably say I have a lot of memory loss. So chemo can affect your brain and you can lose memories for a short term or forever. And so my, most of my memories are gone from that time. Okay. Um, and during that time, I wasn't thinking clearly. So I guess there were many times where my husband and my mom both thought I wasn't going to make it, like right. out of surgeries. Like, and he wasn't your husband yet? No, he was my boyfriend of a couple months. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so they were really concerned because of all the side effects from the surgeries and then nothing going right. Um, and I didn't... And when I had chemo, I didn't take to it very well. So I was in and out of the hospital with pretty serious side effects that I couldn't really, I didn't really understand what was happening. So I wasn't all that concerned for my life like they were because they could actually see how sick I was. Sure, they could see the changes. Yeah. You're just dealing with it and fighting with it and not paying attention to how it looks from the outside at all. Pretty much. And I, you know, a lot of times when they were rushing me to, you know, ORs and stuff, like, I didn't know what was happening. I was like, oh, I'm just going on a trip. Like, mm-hmm. it's another surgery. What's the big deal? Right. But like, this my, is just what happens. My my mom and and Brian, they definitely like they held the weight of the seriousness of what I was going through, um, and they've kind of had to explain it to me now because most mm. of it's just for me. It's just it's gone. It's gone. I mean, I don't even remember a lot of my second year of med school. I barely remember dating my husband. Wow. <laughs> yes, all gone. <laughs> Maybe that's good because we're all bumbling in the beginning. So maybe it's good for him that you don't remember those first few dates. Maybe. <laughs> He's like, score. <laughs> now that I know her, I can be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how long did it take for you to get through the chemo, get over? And I use the term over loosely because I don't know what it looks has looked like past then. When did you get a cancer-free diagnosis, or have you? Well, there's no cancer-free diagnosis okay. for me because um, I didn't do all the treatment they recommended. Okay. So I could have gotten a, so the best they could give is a 95% chance is cleared. There's no 100% for this type of cancer because it's like in your blood, and so gotcha. you never know if it's all gone. But if you do all the treatment, which is Six months of uh, chemotherapy with radiation, they could say that it's 95% certainty that it would okay. be gone. But I declined the radiation, uh, so that lowers my survival for five years to 75%. Um, so it's not too bad. Like, it's only a 25% one in four. 
chance of death. <laughs> I mean, that's better than what you were going through. That's better. Um, but with the radiation, they told me it was a 100% chance of heart failure in my mid-30s. Oh, wow. Yeah, that doesn't even sound like a decision to me. No, no. There's no way. Although they said if the cancer does come back, then I have to get radiation. Otherwise, I won't be able to survive with just chemo. Gotcha. Um, and how so, long ago was that? How old are you now? I am 31. 31. <laughs> so I have now made the five-year cutoff. Right. So like, I should be good. The rate for recurrence after the five years is just really low, like 1%, 2%. So now mm. it's pretty unlikely that I'll have a problem with that cancer. But unfortunately, chemotherapy causes leukemias. Gotcha. So in another 10 or 15 years, I have to be concerned about getting a, another cancer because of the treatment I got. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard that having cancer once makes you more prone to getting other types of cancer. It's very unfortunate. Hmm. So was Brian a climber before? <laughs> was he a climber when all this started or no, were you just climbing a little bit? I was bit? a climber. He gave it a good effort. Like he would come on climbing trips with me. Okay. Um I would I was then I actually wasn't climbing too much because I didn't feel good. So we actually had a lot of time to do non-climbing things. Right. Uh because I just couldn't really Oh sure, climb. it was really early on in your relationship yeah. that this yeah. happened. So <laughs> But afterwards, after I came back, uh, he actually climbed once a week for a year before he uh retired yeah okay <laughs> i think it's cool that that you two can maintain that and i'd like to get into that later and i'd also like to get into the cats you mentioned but and the massive amount of pets that you have but how was it coming back to climbing after having totally atrophied been sick for months and gone through all this chemo coming back to climbing as a former athlete how did that feel horrific i mean that doesn't even describe how horrible it was um i guess most of my self-esteem throughout my life had been based on being an athlete right and so losing all that it was really hard to figure out like who i was and what i was doing um so i was and it wasn't even like starting at square zero like a normal person. Like for the surgeries, they actually had cut my pec muscles. So I couldn't even, I mean, when I was sick, I wasn't feeding myself. I wasn't, I couldn't walk. Right. I got my chemo on my leg. Mm -hmm. So like I only had one working limb and like you can't get very far with just like one left leg. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard coming back because I, I remember my first day coming back. It was probably about six, seven months after I finished chemo. Um, I tried to go do a V zero like I had normally done, like warm up, and I couldn't lift my arms. I was like, "Oh crap! Like, right. I can't do this." So I started traversing, and I traversed for like ten or fifteen minutes. Not not on, but like I was like at the gym for ten to fifteen minutes, and right. then I was exhausted. Yep. And uh, I I had to go, and the workers were like, "You're gone already?" And I was like, "Yeah, like." That's all I can do. So for a while, I just went there for like a little bit of time and did my traverses. Then I think after a couple of months, I was able to lift my arms again. And I remember like the first climb that was vertical. I was so excited <laughs> to yeah. get to the top again. Um, so it was it was pretty devastating kind of just not being able to do like anything, like open the fridge. Like I celebrated opening the fridge door. Hmm. Like that, that was pretty much the state I was in during like a, almost a year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, as athletes, we 
put so much of our identity into being able to not necessarily perform, but to be strong, to be fit. Um, and when you've been used to being able to do something and then you come back to it and can't do it at all, it's such a huge part of your identity that's crushed, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of ego that goes along with that. How did you maintain coming back into the gym over and over when you knew, okay, that first day I was there for 15 minutes, maybe I'll be there for 25 minutes this next time. But but people are watching, you know, and and everyone wants to say, I don't care what people think, but it's really hard to do that in reality, to go into a room of people and do something that you know people are watching you. So how do you go in there and do that? Were there any mental tricks, any things you told yourself? What was going through your head then? I probably didn't go about it the best way. The first time I did go, like, when everybody went, and then it was just, they're all like, well, you try this V4, try this V5, and I was like, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm going to try to maybe lift my arm up over here. Right. Um, and so that was really, really hard. So what I did to... <laughs> overcome that was actually I switched the times I went um unfortunately because that was pretty much the only way I could mentally deal with it because as much as people said they didn't care about like how I climbed but they would you know make comments like oh you want to try that when like clearly Mm -hmm. like I can't use my arms I can't do that so I switched the times I went and because I wasn't in med school yet I was still recovering and I made new friends who hadn't seen me climb before. And so they just saw me as this girl who like <laughs> can barely get up the wall. And so that was pretty much how I coped with it. I felt really bad because I really wanted to, you know, climb with all my friends and see my friends. Mm-hmm. But mentally for me to recover, I just had to take a step back and just say, sorry, I can't come at that time. I'm coming at noon. Um, and then eventually once I was able to, you know, get a little bit of confidence back, I, was, I shifted my time back to climb with my friends but that's pretty much I I think that's a really smart way to approach it you know you have to kind of find this place where you can be comfortable um, and then just gradually slowly push out of that place Um, there's there's maybe a a push toward you just have to jump into the deep end Um, and I don't think that's the best way to do things most of the time sometimes it's a little nicer to wade in and as long as you're constantly making your way toward the deep end then i think you're doing it the right way yeah i i agree because i i try to jump in and that was really hard for my soul (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) totally i just you know had to take baby steps yeah so you're getting back to climbing somewhere between then and now you've gotten jacked how does that happen talk to me about that were you just like as soon as you were able to climb you're like all right i need to lift weights i need to get a lot stronger was it like this vengeance that you you know Uh, put forth that's a pretty good way to describe it okay once i was able to like the first hump was just using my arms again and there was no speedy way around that like i just had no pecs and i just had to let those scars um, heal first mm-hmm. um, so there was no way around that but once those healed up and I could use my arms um, I I wanted to get back to being as you know as strong as I was before and I knew the best way was to get to like a, a strict training plan 
So I didn't really climb for fun too much in the gym. I read some training, but like a rock training manual mm-hmm. about how to like set, you know, schedules for training. And I just started just being very strict. And like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing my shoulder stretches, um, a little bit of pull-ups and or four by fours. But so I just did that for like a year. You just went in and punched the clock. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's huge. I mean, just being consistent is massive. But just being consistent doesn't cause someone to be built the way you are. There's Good there's genetics. other there's other things going on there. I'm positive of it. <laughs> so when you were in medical school before, were you you weren't going to be a cancer doctor. No. You were going to be a surgeon, you Correct. said. Correct. Yeah, sports okay. medicine surgery. Okay. Yeah. And I, I assume that your experience with cancer is what switched you over to wanting to be a cancer doctor? It's twofold. One, yes. Like when I was waiting in the hospital for the pathologist diagnosis for that whole month, and like during that month, I couldn't get treatment, which meant that I was just dying like in the hospital every day. Um, that was what made me think like pathology is really an important part of medicine because your doctor can, your clinician doctor can diagnose you and your surgeon can take it out. But if they don't know what it is, right. like, or the, the clinician can tell you, oh, you have this mass, but they can't tell you exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pathologist is the one who tells you, you have like lymphoma, you have, you know, like some solid cancer, and that's how you get your treatment. So I really wanted to help people move on from like, you have cancer to like, you have this certain, this exact type of cancer. So now you can get treatment for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, I also kind of wanted to do pathology because my health isn't that great, and uh, it has more um, regular hours in residency. Uh, we still work, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week sometimes, but I don't usually have to, you know, be awake for 36, 48 hours straight, which is nice. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say 80 to 100 hours a week? Yeah, and, sometimes I work 80 to 100 hours a week. And it's nice to not have to be awake 48 hours in a row? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, you just said that like it was nothing. I almost just let it slide, too. And then I'm like, wait a minute. None of those things are normal. Yeah, yeah. Residency, no matter what field you pick, is difficult. Um, There's no easy residency. But pathology is very mentally taxing. But the hours you put in are slightly less than um, your surgeon um, or even some of your, like, internal medicine doctors. Mm Mm-hmm. So going through 80 to 100 hours a week or whatever it is, Brian is still there. Yes. Brian's still like, when did he become husband? How did this happen? Um, Well, he proposed about a month after I finished chemo. I think he wanted to make sure I could remember it. (laughs) 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 And then... um, So this is a year... This and is, a half or so? This is a, a year and a couple of months after we met. Okay. Um, which is like a year after the like the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and then we got married about seven months later, six months later. Uh, partly because, you know, I wasn't in med school. We wanted to try to make sure we, I want a grand wedding. You know, I've been dreaming about a wedding my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to plan it. And then um, there was also insurance reasons. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> we, we actually, I was on my parents and then I had to 
I needed to switch over, but I was too old. Yep. So we had to make sure that we were married by a certain time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so practical reasons as well. So he waited until you got married before he retired from climbing. <laughs> no, he actually... <laughs> He he retired while we were climbing or while we were married, like because one of our uh, presents was a uh, membership to the gym, mm. um, to the, our local gym, the Cleveland Rock Gym. And, and so, you got photos in your wedding dress. Yes, climbing. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so we made sure to use that that membership up. But then after that, uh, he comes on climbing trips, but he doesn't climb too much. He's a mountain biker, so it's nice those two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So we can go to the same place, and we just say like meet up at approximately this time, um, at this place, so we know the other person isn't horribly injured, um, you know, bleeding to death on the side of a trail. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, this is what I think is really interesting. Like, I, I first noticed you. And wanted to talk to you because of the cancer survivor coming back to climbing. But then there's also this ridiculously busy life that you have of being a pathologist. Is that the correct Mm -hmm. term? Being a pathologist. Um, Your husband is not a climber, which can make it really tough for a lot of people. I have a lot of clients whose spouses aren't. Uh, aren't climbers and it's tough for them to go on climbing trips or get out climbing. Um, and then you also have approximately 400 cats and dogs. <laughs> um, and that takes up a lot of time, you yes. know? So talk to me about all of this. Why is it, why are you adding pets, adding all of these things? And and not only why are you doing it, but how are you so good at managing it all how does that happen well i think i've been able to manage it because when i was in college i really had to learn time management skills because i was pre-med plus um, environmental science and public policy which is one of the majors that has one of the most classes you have to take and i was on the track team and so to do all three of those things i had to make sure i had everything planned out Fun time planned out, study time planned out, practice time planned out. And it also, because no matter how busy or what exams I had, I had to be at practice. Like there was no option. Like mm-hmm. at 3.30, mm-hmm. I had to be at that track. And track practice, you know, was till about 7. And so like that time, I didn't, wasn't flexible. And I've kind of carried that throughout the rest of my life. Like, it's not a choice to go to the gym or to train. It's like, I have my coach, Coach G there, (laughs) saying like, you better go. (laughs) No matter how tired you are, no matter how tired I was in college, you had to go to track practice. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you were kind of, like, if you were really, really sick, you could stay home. But if you were sick, you still had to go to practice and just stay on the sidelines and not exercise. So I, I... I wasn't able to use being tired as an excuse not to work out. And I don't let myself use that now, even though I don't have anyone making me go to the gym. So I really contribute my time management skills to being on the track team and, you know, pre-med and all those type of things in college. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that we start talking about time management and you bring it straight back to athletics. Like this is a big part of how I learned to be able to juggle all these tough things in my life that that I've got going on well because sports are the best <laughs> I mean I mean I, I agree completely but I just think it's interesting that that's where it goes instead of oh well med school was super busy and I had to learn how to 
you know, put all these things oh. on a calendar and stick to it. It was all about track and Coach G's going to yell at me if I'm not there. So I need to be there. Yeah, I've always been in my mind an athlete first. Um, although like I've been good enough at school to, you know, keep progressing, but like my main focus my whole life was like, I just wanted to be the best athlete I ever could be. Hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's why everything always comes back to sports for me. Yeah. I have to know this on your website. And I want to get into this a little bit on your website. You talk about the scream that you have when you're trying hard. Did that exist in track? (laughs) Is that there anywhere? <laughs> um, it did exist in track, actually, but wasn't while I was running. It was when I cheered for my teammates, and we actually had a team meeting to discuss whether or not I was allowed to scream <laughs> at meets. And people had to go around and say, like, yes, Favia, you can scream for me, or no, Favia, you cannot cheer me on. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> No way. Yeah. What were most of the answers? Um, there are mostly no's. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, was, I was distracting, most people said. But there were a few people who said that they, they knew I was there for them. Mm-hmm. They could really, you know, hear me in the crowd. Um, so, yeah, that scream has been there for, <laughs> for a while. Wow, that's really interesting. The first time I heard it was in one of the Ninja Warrior videos. <laughs> and and I actually didn't even catch it. I was watching one of your runs and I didn't even catch it. And one of the announcers brought it up. And then I started listening and then I looked on your blog and read a little about it. And, and you know, it comes back to that. How do you go into the gym thinking that everyone's watching you? You know, this is a thing that obviously your teammates and your coach had a meeting about. So it's something that that some people are going to it's it's a different thing. Yes. People are going to pay attention to it, you know, but it's something that you've found some strength in and that you are able to use as a tool and and still do. Um are there times when it's like crowded, bouldering spot and you're like, I don't want to do it, or do you just let it happen? Does it just happen and you have no control over it? Oh, it just happens. Okay. <laughs> in in <sighs> that sense, it just happens. Um, like in Ninja, or if I'm climbing and I'm really terrified, like that's just the terror leaving my body. Okay. And that's how I deal with being just ultra, Is ultra. it always terror, always. or is it just try hard? There's a different scream for if I'm okay. trying hard. It's more of a, a grunt, and it really, but both of them hurt my throat. Like I have a horrible <laughs> sore throat afterwards. Um, but that scream is always terror. Hmm. It's just pure fear. And you just push through it. That's your way of pushing through it's it. It's leaving. But okay. it comes right back, so I gotta scream again. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. I had a I had a climbing partner years ago named Alexis. Um, and she cried a lot on roots, but she would keep climbing. And we would always jokingly make fun of her um, until one of my other partners said, you know what, I think Alexis is braver than all of us because she thinks she's going to die on every single route she climbs, (laughs) but she just keeps climbing. 
you know? She doesn't let it stop her. If we think we're going to die, we stop, you know? <laughs> but this is your, you're terrified of these things, but just keep pushing through. Yeah. I always think I'm going to die a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ninja courses scare you more than cancer did. Is that what, oh. is that what I'm being told here? <laughs> Well, I yes, actually. <laughs> but, but in the scheme of things, I have all my wits about me now. <laughs> yeah. But yes, yes, ninja obstacles are probably the most terrifying things I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> <clears throat> That's really funny. And you know, when I was reading your blog, I rec- I saw the name Traverse Girl, right? That's yes. TraverseGirl.com? Yes, correct. And at first I thought, oh, maybe she's just afraid of climbing higher things and i saw that you talked about you know doing some high ball easy high balls every mm-hmm. time that you're out just to deal with it um but then there's also the the fact of if your husband's not a climber and you want to go out climbing solo it's a little more responsible frankly to not be doing tall hard boulders you know and finding those traverses um, did that play into it, that you were going out solo quite a bit once your husband wasn't a climber? That definitely was part of it. Uh, I mean, I have wonderful climbing partners, but sometimes, you know, our schedules don't line up. Sure, so you're ha- working 80 to 100 hours a week <laughs> and you're awake for 48 hours. <laughs> so a lot of times it's just like me and Hans, my dog, um, and he's not the best spotter. So I have to <laughs> make sure that, you know, I can walk out of there. Because I, w- I love climbing, and I want to make sure that I can keep climbing. And I don't think one climb is worth not ever climbing again. Mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of why. And then I also have um, my connective tissue. They don't hold my joints in very well. So every impact, um, I can dislocate. Gotcha. And so if I'm by myself and I fall down, it might not be like a big fall for a normal person. But for me, I may not be able to walk out of there. And then I don't have cell service. And it's, it was way safer for me to stick to low balls and traverses. Right. And was that a result of the chemo, the, the joints, or is it something else? That's where my bad genetics come into play. <laughs> okay. I've had that. So the good genetics are all in the biceps. Yeah. And then, gotcha. <laughs> Um, I've had that um, since I was about 13 years old. I was walking to my science class and I just collapsed in the hallway because my hip dislocated. Hmm. And I've been struggling with that ever since. Wow. My wife just pulled up in this loud truck and she's going to walk in the door. So let's take a little short, quick break. And then I want to get back to a question I asked you earlier and see where it goes. Okay. Hey everybody, Chris here. I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Since this thing became officially official, I've basically been obsessed. I've got dozens of episodes waiting to go out, and I'm constantly recording new conversations. I want to continue putting this level of energy into it, and you all can help. We've created a page at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast where you can help support what we're building. In return, even for as little as a dollar per month, you'll get access to the brand new We Scream Like Eagles podcast, which includes tips from our guests, extra conversations about hot topics, and Q&As with your questions posed to our guests. If you think it's worth more than a dollar a month, we've got other rewards available on top of the bonus episodes like stickers, ebooks, t-shirts, and training plans. 
So, if you've been considering pitching in, now's the time. That's patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. Thanks a ton, and back to the show. Okay, so I sent you this question earlier that just popped into my head, and I don't normally, like, send the people I'm talking to questions or ideas. I'd, I'd just prefer freestyling it. I prefer seeing what comes out. But it was such a weird question that I sent it to you because I wanted some time to think about it too. And my thought was, is there some sort of parallel between TraverseGirl.com, enjoying traverses? You've got these photos. Um, the ones that caught my attention first on your Instagram were um, of martini left and of beer can traverse um so you you like these close to the ground relatively safe but try really hard traverses and is there a parallel between those and your experience with cancer and i'm curious to hear your answer because i think i've gotten an answer in this conversation so (laughs) So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. So that is a very interesting question. I never even thought about comparing cancer to traverses. Um, but I think there are some similarities. Um, I think, and I might be wrong, but I think a lot of people aren't drawn toward uh, traverses because they're kind of more often slow moving mm-hmm. and um, you know not as exciting and you don't get like great views mm-hmm. um so but for cancer is slow moving <laughs> um is is <clears throat> not as well i mean i guess it can be exciting if you're like almost near death and you're brought back but generally the whole thing isn't all that exciting it's just a lot of slow moving moving forward towards your goal and so i think that's kind of how they relate um, and it's kind of funny cause like, you know, you just kind of like when you're traversing, you're moving like left to right and moving kind of not big movements a lot. Right. My traverses. Yep. And so when you're doing the cancer recovery, there's no big movements. You are taking it day by day. Well, honestly, I was taking it minute by minute. Um, sure, every sure. minute was so difficult to live. Um, I even asked my husband once, I was like, will you kill me? Because like, I don't want to keep going. Like this minute is too hard. Wow. And he was like, oh, well, let's, it's, it's just a minute. Like, let's, let's back up a second. <laughs> you, you, Hopefully you'll forget all about this yeah. in a minute. <laughs> Think about the long term. <sighs> you can make it. So like cancer recovery is definitely like very baby steps. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in traversing a lot of times is taking a lot of baby steps. But before you know it, you're at the end of the problem. And before you know it, you know, cancer is in like your past, you're done with treatment. Um, and recovery is forever. Like, I wouldn't say that you're ever done recovering from this big traumatic thing, um, whereas traverses do end. So mm-hmm. there's a little difference there. But I mean, there's a point where like you can go back to living your normal life. Right, right. Yeah, super interesting. And something you said earlier was that you weren't necessarily scared of cancer. Like you were just like, oh, I'm I'm getting through this. This isn't a bad one, you know. And there was never time when you were, you didn't have time to be afraid of it. You just 
were in it and you dealt with it. And now looking back on it, maybe you should have been more afraid or, you know, maybe you should have been more concerned than you were. And, and when I was looking at your blog, it said, you know, it, it mentioned that if you're going to be climbing solo and you want to find these things, you know, and that triggered this idea that maybe it's because maybe what's what you are able to connect to the two of them is that you can be solo. You don't have to be afraid of it. You're not afraid of it. You can still try really hard. You can still give all this effort, you know, toward whether it's this move that's four, three feet off the ground or it's I have to get to this appointment today. I have to go do this. It's going to suck. It's going to be hard, but I'm but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm not afraid of it. I'm just it's just what I have to do. You know, and something that I deal with with clients a lot. Um I deal with it with my wife a lot and myself, frankly. And I think all climbers go through it is we as we get higher and higher we lose the ability to try as hard as we can you know that fear stops us from giving total effort um and i think those you know low to the ground roofs or traverses or whatever they are allow you to try really really hard without fear and maybe it's because you weren't afraid of the cancer you know, maybe it's part of it that you were able to pull through and end up with biceps like you've got at this point. Um, I definitely think you're onto something. I do like roofs because... I'm stumbling into something, yeah. but but I think I am. Because I can try 100%. Like on Martini Roof, um, particularly the left side of it, yeah. you know, I never have to be afraid. Right. Like I can go every move a hundred percent because there's there's no part of me it's like oh like am i gonna die although i did sprain my ankle on it so oh really <laughs> yes were you trying 100 percent, or did you bail at some point and I, that's why you sprained your ankle it was right it, i was trying it was right when i first started climbing um my first my first real outdoor trip here and i tried baby martini and there was no mat under my foot where i mm. fell and i like tried to move and I, I was trying all my hundred percent and like I hit my ankle um so despite knowing that you can still get injured on these low ball roofs I still give a hundred percent um because I don't have a fear of any like major injuries right um and honestly I don't recover um very fast anymore mm. um because the like, chemo has weakened my immune system uh, maybe permanently and I like any normal injury like a regular person gets it takes me like weeks longer or months longer to recover so I I I have to kind of think of like I want to climb tomorrow and so I have to be a little more careful than some other people have to be so that's why I love Waco and all the low ball roofs there's too many roofs here for me (laughs) I I love the low ball roofs I'm I'm in my mid 40s and I don't want to fall from 15 20 feet up so I love the low balls. I'm I'm in it. I'm a I'm a subscriber to your site now, so you just let me know where all the low ball roofs are. <laughs> you know, a lot of people and I don't I don't know if it's a lot of people. Maybe I'm just saying that because I've heard this so often. Um 
when people go through something like cancer or um, any other life-changing disease, trauma, whatever it is, all, all that we hear about is this, you know, I just want to live life to the fullest now. And rather than you, like, I'm just going to travel the world now and, and live, you decided to be a pathologist, help the people who are coming along this same path that you had just come from, um, which includes working 80 to 100 hours a week and being awake for 36 hours in a row, which sounds insane to me, but... Why? Why choose that? Well, I guess, I mean, why not? I've always wanted to be a doctor my entire life. Um, well, I wanted to be a vet, and then I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and This explains the dogs and cats a little yeah, more. Yeah. Okay. Um, but why be a pathologist? Because I feel like I have an inside look on how important and accurate diagnosis is mm. and timely. And I understand what it's like to be a patient. <clears throat> Um, I understand what it's like to get a bone marrow. So like in my my dream practice job is that I get to see patients in the hospital who are waiting their diagnosis and I get to be there and give it to them because um, most pathologists don't actually relay the results. We just send it to the primary care and they tell them. Mm-hmm. But since as someone who you know has been now on both sides, um, I just I just really, I know what it's like to be sick and I know how scary it is for people and I want to make their whole life a little less scary, a little bit Mm. better. And if, you know, me being a little bit faster because I know like one day makes a big difference or just being a little more accurate because I know that the wrong chemo, like I like doctors know that giving the wrong chemo is wrong, but you don't really understand until you've had chemo. (laughs) Right, right. So I think this whole thing just will make me a better doctor, and I want to just make sure that I can help as many people as I possibly can. Wow, that's incredible. And and you may not be able to answer this right off the top of your head. If you can't, that's fine. I'd love to get... um, But I'd love to get a list of resources from you Is there a place that people can go to learn more about if they're having some sort of complications, what that might mean without freaking people out? Um, And what can people expect um, from a diagnosis like this? Are there, do you know if there are resources for athletes who've, you know, dealt with this sort of thing? Well, I would. I wouldn't say there's very good medical resources. Like if you get a diagnosis, it's really hard to know like what's legit and what's not all that backed by science. Um, if you're not in the you know medical field, mm-hmm. um, but there are definitely various support groups out there um, for like, and there's a lot of support groups for like each cancer. And then like really? if you're male or female, if that cancer, like there's, there's a lot of different groups out there um, that can definitely kind of 
guide you in the right direction. And if you are given a diagnosis, there are often conferences that have mm. doctors there and patients are allowed to go. And so you can, I mean, if you're lucky, it's in your area, you can go. Um, I was lucky, actually, that there was a lymphoma conference right when I was diagnosed. Really? <laughs> and my mom went, and that's actually how we found my oncologist, mm. because she went to that conference. Um, so there there are resources, but they, if you're the person who's diagnosed, it may be hard for you to actually find those, but to have a good support system, to have someone try to like Google or search for yeah. support groups with your cancer, um, that's probably the best way. Um, or It's a really you, smart way to get more information too. Yes. Instead of just looking randomly on the internet because... It's really easy to just scare yourself if you're looking on the I internet. I mean, I told you how I Googled yeah. that one thing, and yeah. it said most people would die. And I was like, I'm going to die in the ED. <laughs> and the doctor just left. <laughs> um, or also, if you, you know, I have a lot of friends who just send me a message. Like, my, my aunt got diagnosed. My, you know, my friend's husband got diagnosed. Would you mind, you know, looking at their results? And I always, like, I always take time out of my day to help them, you know, understand what... Like what the pathology report says and what the chemo is going to be and what the side effects are going to be. So just reach out to any, you know, friend of a friend because they may be able to explain um, the results better than just trying to Google them. Great. I think that's really, really great information um, for people out there who are dealing with it themselves or, like you said, are part of a support team for someone else who's dealing with it. Um, and I appreciate you coming in sitting down i know you guys have a short time here in waco so i'm glad you let me take up a little bit of it um before we go though i have to know about the dogs and cats there's like a hundred of them um he had the cats already that's what you said yes so my husband had three cats when i met him okay i had one i'm a cat person too so i'm not judging don't don't get me wrong i'm just curious yeah, I had one cat who unfortunately died of brain cancer when I was on chemo. Like, oh, isn't no that horrible? Way. No way. Um, so we adopted two cats together, and so we got up to five. And then uh, when we moved to New Mexico, we adopted Hans, who's a Rotterman, a Rottweiler Doberman mix. And now we have a foster dog um, named Chewy, and he's a Dutch Shepherd Lab. Okay. We've had him for like seven, eight months. <laughs> so two dogs, five cats? Exactly. Okay, slightly less than 100. <laughs> But the, the photos are amazing of the whole fur family yes. sitting around you guys. Was it like a Christmas card or something? Is that what I saw? Yeah, yeah, pretty Christmas much. Photo. Every two years, we try to get the whole family together <laughs> <laughs> to take a Christmas picture. Um, it's pretty tough. The cats don't want to cooperate. Cats don't cooperate. No. That's why I like them, actually. <laughs> and we, I mean, and since we have five. You know, it's hard to yeah. hard to hold them all. But, no you know, they, a couple of them looked a little grumpy in the photo I saw. I'm going to be yeah. completely honest. <laughs> you should have seen the ones I didn't post because it's like cats flying in the air. <laughs> all right. So what's on your agenda this weekend? What are you guys um, climbing on? So today we went to North Mountain for a couple hours. And tomorrow we're going to go to East and try our usual Hobbit with a... Boner? Hobbit with a boner. That? You can say that. Okay. Yeah. The names are unfortunate here, but they're 
That's a real thing. <laughs> and um, uh, 1010. And then we're going to, for the first time, we've never tried Sunshine. Mm-hmm. So I saw a picture of it yeah. and I was like, oh, that looks a little traversy. <laughs> it's very traversy. Really cool, slopey V11 on yeast. Yeah. I'm a little worried about the top out part, but <laughs> yep. I hear that's not too bad. Um, so I'm looking forward to giving that a whirl tomorrow. Awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. And hopefully you get back to Beer King Traverse sometime soon. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely in April. Coming back in April, and I'm going to be on it. Cool. I tried to get on it. Actually, I was thinking of you. On our first day here, we were in there um, in the New Meadow. And I was like, oh, I, that picture of her on it was cool. I'm going to go in there and try that thing. And the whole ground was just filled with water. Oh. All those Wacos were filled with water. Yeah. So at any moment, if I would have fallen off, I'd have just gone swimming. So that is a problem. Sometimes it's very weather dependent. <laughs> yep. And in the summer, mm-hmm. if it rains, those puddles are just both mosquitoes. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about how. So that like, it's really like you can't really try it as many times as you want. <laughs> and the crux is at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> when you're tired. Yep. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for thank coming for and sitting me. down and. Um, I appreciate it a ton. You're an absolute badass and inspiring so many people. So Thank you. And I'm going to put links to that Ninja Warrior video with the scream <laughs> in the podcast. So Cool. Thanks, Fabia. Oh, thank you. You know, being inspired by someone's struggle is a, a tricky thing. Um, that's one of the things I've learned and tried to understand throughout making this podcast and getting to talk to so many people that I'm inspired by, that you're inspired by. And some of those people don't necessarily want to be an inspiration. They just want to be a normal person and live their life. And and I think that's fine. Um, and we don't have to, they don't have to do anything that they feel is extraordinary for us to be inspired by them. Um, I think that's fine. I'm very happy, however, that uh, Dr. Fabia Dubik is okay with telling her story, with being an inspiration, with inspiring people. And to be honest, I'm not even sure she quite understands how how many people or how much her story can inspire people. Um, if you look online, the predominant story is not the super inspiring one. Um, and again, I think that's okay. Favia is a climber and she tries really hard. And that to me is just as inspiring as being a cancer survivor, a, a thriver post-cancer. I think most of all, I'm just inspired by the fact that Favia goes out there, does her own thing. It doesn't really matter to her what the, the masses, the general public says she should be doing. She just does what she wants to do, and that's really exciting. Favia, thank you for sitting down with me in StarCraft the power company spaceship while you're in Waco last year. I hugely appreciate it. I hope I run into you again and that we get to sit down again because I don't feel like we've even scratched the surface on all of the cool things that you do. So let's do it again sometime. The rest of you out there can find links 
to Favia's Instagram as well as her blog and to that Ninja Warrior video with the screams, of course. You can also find links directly to that Red River Pump Prep program with Drew Mack. Check that out if you've got a trip coming to anywhere that happens to be pumpy climbing. This will be your best course of preparation. I promise. Thanks so much for all of your support this year. There's probably going to be one more episode before the end of the year. That's my thought. Probably a board meeting. I haven't given you one of those in a while, so be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, I'm taking a break for the end of the year. In the meantime, you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com, at powercompanyclimbing on the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Pinterest. And on the Twitter machine, look for us. We're not there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this